0: Hi and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au Hi and welcome again to the welcome that both Tim and Shane have given to you this morning. We're really glad you're here to share with us in this time. And I'll talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing in a moment. But let's pray together. Love us to pray together and a number of things coming up in the life of our world and our church and uh, let me just join together as we pray for them. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. You are the great God of creation. You've created us, you've put us together, you knit us together in our mother's womb and Lord, it's even hard for us to get our heads around that, but we thank you for that and Father, we come today to invite you by your spirit to continue to speak to us and, and minister to us and enliven us in the way only you can do. Father, we pray for our world. We know it's it's broken like we are broken and we reflect you but sometimes in tarnished ways because of the brokenness of our world. We pray for the situation overseas. We pray for the situation ongoing in, in the Ukraine. We don't know exactly how to pray even sometimes but we would pray for a lessening of aggression and for compassion and, and grace, Lord God, in those places. Father, we pray for next Saturday, Australia's going to vote and we, Lord, we're not going to pray party politically, but we're going to pray for wisdom, we're going to pray for insights, we're going to pray, Lord God, that whoever gets in power, that righteousness, Lord God, will somehow prevail, that good, good governance and good living and good leadership will be prevailing in our, in our country. And, Father, we thank you for that. And, Lord, again, we pray in situations, there are many situations just represented in this room, Lord God, of people with needs, and, and, and Lord, we would pray for those um, needs right now. We thank you that you're across them. You have compassion towards us. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as was indicated in that bumper that just came up before, a couple of weeks ago, just the week after Easter, kind of looked at Easter, resurre- the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then the week after, we looked at the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. It was a very quick, very quick um, look at that, and a number of the aspects of the Spirit. And after that, a number of you came and said, we, "We'd love to know more a bit, a bit, a bit more about that. What is the work of the Spirit in our lives?" And you know, in the uh, so I decided we're going to look at over that over a few weeks. Now just the next four, four weeks that i 'm on i 've got about four Sundays messages left before I finish my role here at at uh, at Creekside and uh, in those four weeks and look at the work of the Spirit of God in our lives and that 's going to be I think hopeful to us and to see how the Spirit of God enlivens us and enlightens us for his work and in the four weeks that I'm on we look at that um, got to do something a little different. So service will go on as normal and conclude as normal and, you know, finish with usually a song and the host dismissing us. But each of those four weeks, because it's an area that's not just fascinating but important and, and uh, in, um, we need to understand in the work of God in our lives, each week there's going to be 15 minutes after the service is finished for anybody who wants to stay and ask questions. And I've got to tell you right in advance, nobody knows all the answers but uh, if you want to stay up, service has got finished, and you can move out and have coffee and tea and fellowship. But if anybody wants to stay, I don't care if it's one or twenty or forty. I don't. It doesn't matter. We're just going to have a sort of a Q and A and a bit of an exploration of some things that maybe have come up that you're not sure about. Just because this is an area of of life and faith that sometimes um, gets beyond us and we don't fully grasp it, and we're going to start that process today. So even today. That doesn't mean if you've got kids, you can just stay another quarter of an hour and let your kids hang. You've got to get your kids after, uh, in their normal time, but, but uh, we're going to do that those four weeks. Okay? Okay. Cool. Um, we're just going to start by just looking at some of the, I guess, principles and thoughts about this area of the Spirit of God working in their lives. Because as I said before, it is one of those areas where there is conjecture and where there is sometimes, unfortunately, division, which the Spirit never brings, but we do, over our our thinking about that. And let me just begin with some thoughts and principles. And these are basic. Some of these will be motherhood statements and you get that and we need to understand that. The first one is this, that the Holy Spirit... Is God. Now that is a kind of very simple statement, but the Holy Spirit is God. Why I say that is sometimes we think that the Spirit is out there somewhere. We talk about God the Father and God the Son, but we don't usually talk about God the Holy Spirit. We just talk about the Holy Spirit. And the difficulty with that is we get the impression sometimes that these two, the Father and the Son, are you know, close together, but the Spirit's out there somewhere doing His own thing. No, he is God, the Holy Spirit. He is totally consistent with the Father and the Son. And we need to understand that. Different functions, but the Holy Spirit is God. And right now as I speak to you, God the Father is in heaven. God the Son is at his right hand preparing a place for you. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who's working in our lives and in our world. But there three are in one. Three or one. So it sounds like a silly motherhood statement to say, but the Holy Spirit is God. We need to grasp that. He's not sort of weird and wonderful out here, not separate from God. Second, just a few introductory thoughts. Second thing I want to say is don't bring your doctrine to the Scriptures, but allow the Scripture to determine your doctrine. Does that make sense? Don't bring your doctrine of what you've always thought or what you've always been taught or whatever, including anything I would say, to the Scriptures, but bring the Scriptures to determine your doctrine or your theology in this area. Really important. I don't mind amens. They're fine. That's good with me. It's very important because it's easy to do. and We often come to the Scriptures from a predetermined position. That might be because of the way we've been brought up or it might be because friends have always said that or whatever it might be. But we come with a certain lens and we need to look at that. And the difficulty with church sometimes is that churches have come with um, theological tribes. We even describe churches today as evangelical or mainstream or Pentecostal or liturgical and they are different tribes of the church and you can easily come... To the scriptures from a predetermined tribe. That's what our tribe believes. And that's not a bad thing because we need to be able to have some clarity, etc. But come to the scriptures from the scriptures, not from a predetermined viewpoint or a predetermined lens or even what we're comfortable with. We sometimes do that. Let me say this too. The Holy Spirit will never lead you or speak to you contrary to the Word of God. He will never lead you or speak to you contrary to the Word of God. That doesn't mean he will always quote Scripture to you. But his words to you, his communication with you will not violate what's written in the Scriptures. Will not Now your situation, your specific situation that you're seeking work from the Spirit on, Uh, and word from the Spirit on may not be written about, particularly in the Scriptures. So the Spirit of God may actually enliven things to you, but He will never speak to you contrary to the Word of God. He just won't do that. Um, That would be inconsistent with His nature. There are no contradictions. He can enliven Scripture to your situation, but never speak against it. Make sense you're right good cool next next thing I want to say just by really by way of introduction to this today really a kind of introductory thing and try and see these four weeks as a kind of a, a package if you like, rather than one week on its own next thing he is not a spirit of fear but of power love and sound mind or self-control the scriptures call it. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up. In other words, don't let it be dormant. Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Or self-discipline sometimes it says. Or self-control. There is nothing to be fearful about in relation to God the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing to be fearful about at all. You sometimes have to be careful what people say about the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing to be fearful about in the work of the Holy Spirit, if it's the true work of the Holy Spirit. There may be things to be cautious of, of what people attribute to the Holy Spirit, or what people say about the Holy Spirit, or particular interpretations, but the Holy Spirit, God himself, is not to be feared. Not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control and self-discipline. That's really important. I think I said this a little bit earlier, but he is never divisive, only unifying. The Spirit is never divisive. I hear people say sometimes, oh, the Holy Spirit split that church. Let me tell you, that's an absolute lie. The Holy Spirit will never split a church. People split churches. People, maybe how they interpret or how they get dogmatic or belligerent or whatever, they split churches, but the Holy Spirit is always, always unifying. Always. That's his work. That's how he works. Paul says to the Ephesian church, Tim read from Ephesians earlier on and a couple of chapters later, he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, not bring the unity of the Spirit, to maintain or to keep the unity of Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and got one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The work of the Spirit in the church is to bring unity, never division, never division. That's never the work of the Spirit of God at all. And a breach of of unity is a contradiction to the work of the Spirit. He is the Spirit of unity who brings a bond of peace to us. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Um, It's important to say that. Two more things just by way of introduction. Don't let theology or terminology replace reality. And what I mean by that is the different tribes that we have in the church use terminology in different ways. Biblical terminology. And we mustn't let that replace reality because terminology can be a barrier to us. It can be a barrier to a particular or a certain Aspects of certain parts of church that never use particular words because they're mis- misunderstood. Every tribe has its own theology. Every tribe has its own feeling of where it feels comfortable. There is evangelical theology. There's Pentecostal theology. There's Orthodox theology. And that helps to indicate the flavor of a church. But it's not the total defining aspect of of a church, and we've allowed some sections of the church to to monopolise certain phraseology or certain terminology. You think of phrases like um, baptised in the spirit. We'll talk about that a bit later, but baptised, we have let that go to a certain tribes of the church, particularly the Pentecostal side of the church. Born again. We've let that phrase go to the evangelical side of the church and not many other parts of the church use that. And we've got to be really careful that we don't allow just terminology that fits my tribe to determine everything, to overcome the reality of God in us. Just got to make sure we don't allow the terminology or the theology to, you know, regulate the work of God. It's very important that we do They're all biblical terms, born again, baptism in the spirit. They're all biblical terms. But we've just got to be careful how we don't just let them to be monopolised by certain groups within the body of Christ. The last thing I want to say just by introduction, just so you know, nobody has it all together. No one has it all together. No finite mind can fully grasp, understand or articulate the work of an infinite God. No Finite mind can do that, and we. The reason why we're having some time together after the services. Everybody in any circumstance should be able to ask any question. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you you can't ask a question or you have to tiptoe around a certain theology, watch out. That is unhealthy. Anybody in a church or in most situations should be able to ask any question. It should be like that. That's the way it ought to be. So we've just started with some of the basics, and I want to go over a couple of things I said briefly and quickly a couple of weeks ago. And as I said, this is kind of a a, 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 a package, a set four-week session, if you like. I said this before, but we are primarily tripartite people. We are three parts people, body, soul, and spirit. That's who we are. We're created in the image of God, who is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity of, of Godhead. We're created in his image, so we are, if you like, three in one in that similar sense. Um, I've got a slide up there I'll show you. It's just a, pic- a picture of what I said a couple of weeks ago, um, where the the body, if you like, our body is, has our drives, our, uh, our physical needs, that's what our body is has our 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 soul is our mind emotions and our will the choices we make the emotions and feelings we have um, the decisions we come to but the spirit is that part of us which is the knowing communing discerning part of us Uh, that part that's deep down within us that's who it is and Paul when he's talking to the Thessalonian church says those words you know you know the, the whole thing he says up there May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you individually have a spirit. Everybody has a spirit. Whether you're a believer or not, everybody has a spirit. That's important to grasp um, if we look at that. And, And what happens at your conversion is that God has a transaction With your spirit. He bears witness, it says, we'll read it in a moment, bears witness with your spirit that you're now a child of God. But you have a spirit. Everybody has a spirit. It's not that we are bipartite people until we become Christians and all of a sudden we get a spirit. No, you have a spirit. Everyone. Paul says to the. through this prophet Zechariah, he says this, a prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth and who forms the human spirit within a person. So God forms a human spirit within a person. And your spirit is the part of you that when your body and your soul wears out, that is when you colloquially kick the bucket, your spirit is the part of you that is eternal. Paul says to the, no, Paul doesn't say, the writer of the Ecclesiastes says this in Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. This is a creative way to say you're going to kick the bucket. Is that Sorry, that's a bit crass. crass a bit crass, but you're going to die one day. Remember, you created before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust <clears throat> will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So you have a spirit. Really important to, to, to see the oh, Can we go back, uh, Evan, to that diagram? If we could do that, that'd be great. And so what happens at conversion is that God's spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. So what is new at conversion is your spirit. Because there's been a transaction that happens where God has renewed you. Your body didn't get renewed when you came to Jesus. Still had its same drives and still operated the same way. And your mind, emotions and your wills, and your will didn't get transformed completely when you can. In fact, it's still in the process. But what was made new was your spirit? God's witness with your spirit. We'll read some scripture in a moment. That's what happened at conversion. God's spirit bore witness or testified or renewed your spirit so that you become a child of God. I want to read some scripture and tell you why that's really important. Paul, and no, so I keep saying Paul. i not sure why I say Paul all the time. But what happens when you surrender your life to Jesus is that he renews your spirit, not your body and your soul, and you now live from inside out. See, we often live from outside in, the environment, the discussions, our bodily needs, what, we, we all live from outside in. But now you're a follower of Jesus and he's renewed your spirit. You live with from inside out because that's the God-invaded part of you. That's where God has made you new, and we live from the newness out. So what's happened in your spirit now is to impact our emotions and our will and our decisions and our body, what we do with that. That's how we're meant to live, inside out, from the spirit who is new. So let me read to you from a couple of scriptures from John chapter 3. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit, big S. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit, big S, gives birth to spirit, little s, your spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So the Spirit gives birth to your spirit. In Christ, you're a new creation. That's the newness. Your body isn't new yet. Your mind and your emotions aren't new. You still have some terrible thoughts and you still think some terrible things, even though you become a Christian. And that's where the Spirit of God within must work inside out. That's how we're meant to be. And when you become a Christian, that's what happens. So Romans, Paul says, finally got to say Paul said, Paul says in Romans, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, you received the spirit of sonship. So your spirit, as it is, may be fearful, but you didn't receive that spirit for fear. But you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies, bears witness with, renews our spirit and testifies that we are God's children. If we are God's children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Why that's really important is that we don't always tell people what God has done in their conversion, We often tell people what we've done, and we often rejoice in what God has done, and so we should. But we don't tell people what God has done at that moment in time. Let me give you an illustration. When I first became a Christian, I was 22 years of age, and uh, I came to a place of choosing to follow Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus one Sunday, one Sunday Saturday night actually, in church in in a youth rally, Somebody came and talked to me, and they said to me, you have chosen to follow Jesus. And you have chosen, now you've chosen, here's the things that you should do. Right things, good things. You now have an access to God. You can pray. You should read your Bible. You should get involved with a local church. You should give all the things that we should do, the things that I do in conversion. And they also told me the things God did, rightly so that God did back then, he died on a cross for me and he forgave my sins and he rose again so that I got a new life. So they told me the things I'd done, I'd chosen to follow Jesus and, and that what God had done, but no one told me what God had done there and then. No one told me God's part in my conversion that God had done something right there and then, that at that point in time when I chose to follow Jesus, God's Spirit bore witness with my spirit, and now I can be confident I'm a child of God. And so, later on in my Christian life, for a couple of years, people would say to me things like, well, I know you've come to faith, but are you baptised in the Spirit? Or, I know you've come to faith, but if you had the second blessing, or, or whatever it is, whatever however you want to say that, and you scratch your head because I don't, I've got no idea. No one told me that. No one said anything about that to me, and it left me in confusion for a while. And it leaves people in confusion if we just tell them what they did rather than God's action right there and then in their life and in their conversion. Really important. It's uh, it's crucial that right there and then. I was baptised in the Spirit, in my view. That's what that means. Now, that doesn't mean God cannot do extraordinary things, more spectacular things, more maybe sensational things down the track in your life. I hope he does on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that can't happen. But I don't believe that's the baptism. I I believe I was baptised or dipped or plunged into the Spirit when I was converted. That That's when I was plunged into the realm of the Spirit. And then the Spirit of God is free to do whatever the Spirit of God wants to do in me at any time He wants. But I think because you're not told what happened back then, you interpret that as, oh, now I have been baptized or now I have been whatever. But God, God does things and you want God to do those things by His Spirit in your life regularly, ongoingly, in a real way. And you you may have experiences where God is continually working in your life and God, by his spirit, is continually revealing things to you or giving you gifts or whatever they might be. And we'll talk about that down the track. He might give you those and you might become aware of those, but you are, at your conversion, you are dipped. You are plunged into the realm of the spirit. He renews you at that time. And we need, to be we need to understand, we need to tell people who come to faith in Jesus, not just what they've done or what they should do or what God did back there, but what God has done right there and then. God has worked in you and he has renewed you by his spirit. You have changed from within right there and then. Not just because you've chosen to, but because God has done something and doing something and he continues to do something. It's really important that we grasp that, really grab that. And we need to, and that will free you up to be able to rejoice in the things God does down the track. In you, oh wow, Spirit of God in me mean, is just working, and He's doing this, and He's doing that, etc. That's really important. John the Baptist, who came onto the scene before Jesus, um, said this: Matthew three, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I." whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, the Holy Spirit within is not placid. He's not um, inert. He's not just a thought or a theological concept. He is the Holy Spirit. You are baptised with fire and other descriptions of the Holy Spirit are rivers of living water. So there's this... Description of a torrent of water or fire, not insipidness. You have been given the power of God to dwell within you. That's an extraordinary thing. He is not, he is not just insipid. He's not passive. He works within us. And sometimes we, we kind of give the impression, yeah, yeah, theologically he lives there, but he doesn't do much. Well, if he doesn't do much, it's because we don't want him to do much because he is a living God with fire and with living water and flowing and making a difference in our lives. We need to be open to that and open to the work of the Spirit within. We are not to be passive Christians. It's why, it's why the Scriptures say things like this, do not resist the Holy Spirit. That is Paul do not resist the Holy Spirit, do not quench the Holy Spirit, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, because we can see that what happened in our lives in that diagram if we had it, um, and, and the quenching of the Holy Spirit is actually not allowing him to impact the rest of our lives. When Paul says keep on being filled with the Spirit, it's allowing the Spirit who has renewed you in your spirit now to Grow out and be, be filled in your emotions and be filled in your soul and be filled in your body with the Spirit of God. Allow, those th- allow the decisions you make, allow the feelings you have, allow the, the things you do with your body now to be controlled, filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit who's deep in your spirit now to help you live inside out. Really, really important. That's what Paul means when he says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not like there's little bits of the Spirit out that we grab here and we grab there. No, no, no. He's dwelling within you. Keep on being filled. Allow him to control more of your life, more of your life, more of your life. Live inside out more and more and more. That's what it means to keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's important. Don't live outside in. Live inside out. We're not passive Christians. And, The Holy Spirit defined as fire and water, flowing water, is an extraordinary, it's not passive. It's not just, oh, yeah, he's in there somewhere. I believe theologically he's changed me, but no, 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 he has done that. But now, within you, a roaring torrent of the Spirit of God and fire and richness of the Spirit of God in you, helping you to live inside out. That's really important. So we're not not apologetic Christians. We're not passive Christians. We're not pathetic Christians. We're not just reactionary Christians. We're active, proactive Christians because the Spirit of God lives in us and he can make a difference with us and in us. And it's important to discover that because there are things that that will change in us that we're going to look at in weeks to come. For example, knowing that the Spirit of God dwells in me is an active God in me. Knowing that will give me trust. I will have trust now. I can believe because God is with me. He's not just a, a weird sideshow side from God. He's, he's with me and in me. He'll give me confidence. I can have trust in my life in, in, the, in confidence. He'll give me comfort. He will give me hope and it will give me power. We sometimes don't like to talk about that at all because power sometimes is described or expressed in sort of unhealthy ways. But the Spirit of God gives you power, power in your life. That's important. And we're going to look at some of those things in the weeks to come. And it's a life not dependent on you anymore, but trusting in God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you. We're going to Next time, look at, next week it is, look at, uh, explore more of the impact of the Spirit of God in your life. What that means, what that matters. And over the weeks to come, we're going to talk about, what does Jesus mean when he says, you'll worship me in spirit and in truth? Uh, what, is, what does it mean to when, when it talks about the Holy Spirit as a spirit of comfort? What does that mean? What does it mean when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit? What does it mean when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit? What do those things mean in our lives? We're going to look at those in the weeks to come. But I want to finish today with this scripture, again from the book of Ephesians. It's a scripture you know very, very well. In fact, you've seen me put it up on the screen before. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, sometimes we, we, we cap it there. God is great, he's fantastic, he's able to do amazing things with us, he's more than we can ask, think or imagine, it's wonderful. But we forget what comes after. According to his power that is at work within us. You have the spirit of God at work within you, and as well as being comfort in life, he is power. He is power within you. Not power so you get a big pat on the back, but it's his power. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to close in a minute. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a final song and Tim's going to dismiss you and feel free to have a coffee or tea whatever. But if you want to stay behind and ask some questions, you can feel free to do that. We're going to go no longer than 15 minutes, just so you know, but you will have to get kids if you're... I don't want if kids are in here, by the way. That doesn't bother me. But, but uh, you'll have to get kids. So, a couple of minutes after we finish and Tim dismisses you, um, just stay where you are and we'll start. Is that okay? Cool. No obligation. I won't think any less of you if you come or don't come. I won't judge you or whatever. Just feel free. How are you? What, if you want something you want to ask question about. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for the work of God, the Holy Spirit. We want to thank you that when we come to choose to follow Jesus, we are made new, brand new in our spirit, who then wants to grow in us to impact our soul and our body, our mind, our emotions, our will, and the things we do with this skeleton that we have. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you don't leave us bereft. You don't leave us alone. You don't leave us just to try and navigate this world by ourselves. But your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're God's children. And we can now say, Abba, Dad, Father. So, Father, just continue to work in our lives, continue to help us trust you and and see what you're doing within us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.